is up. Your host with the most, George McCoy, I'm in the building. I'm here with my cohort in crime, Steve the Animal Mitchell. Hello, wrestling fans. Yes, wrestling fans indeed. Today, very scrumptious. Oh, yeah. Very delicatessent. It's my turn at the wheel for our superstar profile, episode 58. And it is on Mick Foley. Yeah, Mick Foley, everybody. If you're going to do anybody in October, I mean, this is the guy next to The Undertaker. But The Undertaker's a lot of research. Not like Mick Foley wasn't a lot of research. But you know what? Just because of the thing that's on the network now, the 20th anniversary of the Hell in the Cell that they redid on the network that you and I went to see live. Yep. Uh, and we saw Mick Foley in person. It was just the right choice at the right time. Yep. So it made complete and utter sense to me to do that. So um, as you guys may have heard at the beginning of the episode, I hope it worked. We actually had our soundbite from Mick Foley shouting us out. Saying that pretty much, if you have not listened to Straight Talk Wrestling, he thinks you should. And have hopefully, nice Mick, this is the first time that you get a chance to listen to Straight Talk Wrestling. We'll be tagging you in this for sure. Hopefully, you enjoy what you hear today. Yes. If you get a chance to hear it. <laughs> yes, this, this will pretty much be like that snippet he did with The Rock, where it was, this is your life. Mick Foley, this is your life. <laughs> this is your life. So, there's that snippet there, and also uh, from George the Iceman, head of Destiny Wrestling. He's in that snippet, too. So, hopefully, that worked. Hit us up on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook. Let us know if you heard it. If not, I'll redo it. Yep. And George, thanks so much for giving us a soundbite. Thanks so much for the time last week, man. That was such an incredible episode and still buzzing after after hearing the story of uh, such such perseverance to hear the story of a guy that's just doing everything he can. He's just busting, 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 grinding, grinding, grinding every day and just working it, working it, working it. And, and Destiny is just flourishing today because of it. The first um, the first pay-per-view is going to be coming up real soon November 25th November 25th That just dropped Tickets are on sale Go check them out Go get them if you can Yeah, if you're in the uh, GTA Check them out From what I understand I believe all the front row And VIP passes are sold out But still second row And general admission are still available Yes So, and we were actually able to attend a live event On Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada For all our US listeners We know you have your Thanksgiving in November We have ours in October Let's move on <laughs> Let's move on. But we were able to attend the a live event, Destiny Wrestling, and it was absolutely amazing. Killing. From the characters we saw to the matches we saw, every match on the card lived up to the hype that you knew you were going to get. Such entertainment, such great characters. We were able to see uh, the Mustache Mountain, Trent Seven, and Tyler Bate in the building, which yep. was super close to see him in such a very intimate setting. Uh, OVO we saw, which was, or OVE, sorry. OVE. Great, yep. great tag team. We saw Stone Rockwell. You may have seen him on Impact Wrestling. Hilarious. Amazing wrestler, great character, great charisma. Yep. And then, of course, the uh, walking weapon, Josh Alexander, walked in as the challenger on a triple threat, walked out as the new Destiny Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion. Congratulations, Josh. Tore the house down. Was supposed to be a one-on-one -on -one with Pete Dunne, but Pete Dunne was unfortunately injured. So, last-minute replacement, uh, low-key. And then they added Aiden Prince, who's an up-and-comer, to the mix in that match as well. Yeah, that was an amazing surprise. They're doing a, a fatal four-way for the entrance into the triple threat. was yep. incredible. And low-key, say what you want to say about this guy, all the stories that, you, that may have been heard about attitude issues or what have you. This guy puts on a show. Absolutely put on an incredible show. And you know what? It could have literally went either way. But I'm really happy that the walking weapon walked out with the World Heavyweight Champ. You can check out our pictures from the event and our videos on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We shared them the whole night. Destiny Wrestling is literally where it's at here. And even if it's not here, they're going to go further. This pay-per-view is going to put them on the map. Do not sleep on Destiny Wrestling and all the amazing things they're doing. Every episode from this point on, 
You're going to hear us plugging them because they are goddamn well deserving of that plug. Yep. Every episode. Yep. They are killing it with Canadian Strong Style right now, everybody. And seriously, if you have not had a chance to check out Destiny World Wrestling, then you need to go and check it out right now. Go check it out. Destiny at, at Destiny World Wrestling all around on all social media platforms. Yeah. And don't forget that the pay-per-view, it is their first pay-per-view, will be available on Fight. That's not F-I-G-H-T. That's F-I-T-E. You can get that app on Apple, mm-hmm. uh, Google Play. It's available. You go in. You pay for the purchase of the pay-per-view. You got it. My wife and I actually downloaded the app last week because I want to be ready for it when it comes out. We're able to catch up on, on some great Ring of Honor stuff and great Impact stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of for any wrestling fan, there's a lot of indie wrestling stuff on there that's absolutely fantastic. Yep. And All In is still available on there as well for fifty four ninety nine. So check that out if you haven't seen it already. All right. And without further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, the three faces of Mick Foley. Mick Foley was born Michael Francis Foley Sr. Okay? And he was born on June 7th, 1965. Alright? He was born in Bloomington, Indiana. He has an older brother named John. And shortly after his birth, Foley's family moved to East Seticut. I hope I'm saying that right, New York. Where Foley attended Ward Melville High School. He played lacrosse and he wrestled. And he's also of Irish descent. Foley was a high school classmate of actor Kevin James... The two were on a wrestling team together and attended the same college. While a student at State University of New York in, at Cortland, he hitchhiked to Madison Square, blah, Madison Square Garden to see his favorite wrestler, Jimmy Snuka, in a steel cage match against Don Morocco. Foley has said that Snuka's flying body splash from the top of the cage inspired him to pursue a career in pro wrestling. Everybody knows that, but I had to throw that in there anyways. Foley had a front row seat and is visible in the video event. So if you ever get a chance to watch that on WWE Network, you can see Mick Foley sitting right front row center. Pretty awesome. So training and early career, uh, I'm going to span this, kind of break this down from 83 to 91. Foley was formerly trained by Dominic DiNucci at his wrestling school in Freedom, Pennsylvania. Um, he debuted in 1983. In addition to appearing on DiNucci's cards, Foley and several other students also took part in some squash masses as jobbers with WWF TV tapings of primetime wrestling and superstars of wrestling. Foley wrestled under the names Jack Foley and Nick Foley. In one of these matches, the very first episode of Superstars, Foley and Les Thornton, another jobber, faced the British Bulldog, during which the Dynamite Kid, who has a long-earned reputation as a stiff worker in the ring, clotheslined Foley with such force that he was unable to eat solid food for several weeks. That was a tidbit I didn't even know, so that was pretty cool. After several years of wrestling in the independent circuit, Foley began receiving offers from various regional promotions, including Bill Watts Universal Wrestling Federation, and he joined the Memphis-based Continental Wrestling Association, or the CWA, as Cactus Jack Manson, where he teamed with Gary Young as part of the Stud Stable. Cactus and Young briefly held the CWA tag titles in late 1988. On November 20th, Foley left CWA for the Texas-based World Class Championship Wrestling or WCCW, as they were known. In, WC, in WCCW, Cactus Jack was billed as Cactus Jack Manson, as a major part of the Skankador Akbar's stable. The addition of the Manson to Foley's name, due to his implied connection with Charles Manson, made him feel very uncomfortable. Foley won several titles when he was there, including the company's light heavyweight and tag team titles before leaving the company losing his last match to Eric Embry in nine seconds. Nine seconds. Then he briefly competed in Alabama's Continental Wrestling Federation before competing a brief stint with WCW. His first match there, he would team with jobbers, 
When a jobber would lose the match for the team, Cactus Jack would attack his partner, throw them out of the ring, and deliver his infamous ring apron flying elbow drop onto the concrete floor. His biggest match at the time was against Mil Mascaras. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Hope I am. Mil Mascaras. Mascaras. At, champ, at Clash of Champions 10, Texas Shootout. It was during this period that Foley was involved in a car accident that resulted in the loss of his two front teeth, adding to the distinctive look for which he is famous. Following a short stint with WCW, Foley then signed with Herb Abrams' Universal Wrestling Federation. In the UWF, Foley teamed with Bob Orton to feud with Don Morocco, Sonny Beach, and Brian Blair. He soon left the UWF for the Tri-State Wrestling and it was a front-runner to Extreme Championship Wrestling, whose high-impact, violent wrestling style, as we all know, fit Foley very well. On the night known as Tri-State Summer Sizzler 91, Cactus Jack and Eddie Gilbert had three matches in one night. Cactus won the Falls Count Anywhere match, he lost the stretcher match, and then he fought in a double disqualification in his steel cage matches. These matches caught the attention of WCW officials. In large part, it was due to widespread photo circulation around that time because there was no video there was no hey here's my demo check it out none of that it was pretty much just photos and what they saw what they heard uh kind of water cooler talk if you will Mm -hmm. in 91 after a brief stint working in global wrestling federation he joined wcw full-time now this is the early years in wcw from 91 to 93 on september 5th 1991 cactus jack debuted as a heel and attacked sting after feuds with van hammer and abdullah the butcher cactus jack faced sting then the, at the time, WCW World Heavyweight Champion in a non-title Falls Count Anywhere match at, Bash, at Beach Blast in 1992. Sting won that match. For a long time, Foley has considered this the best match he has ever worked. Unlike Jack's first stint in WCW, where his personality was quieter, he was now outwardly man, uh, maniacal. He laughed laugh hysterically, shrieking into the air while choking in his opponent and yelling his signature catchphrase, Bang Bang. Uh, after spending a year and a half with WCW as a heel, he transitioned into a fan favorite after engaging in a feud with Paul Orndorff, Harley Race, and Big Van Vader. Jack and Orndorff wrestled each other in the match for a spot in WCW World Heavyweight Champion Vader's team at Clash of Champions. After that match, Race and Orndorff beat up Foley, and after following Clash of Champions event, Cactus Jack helped Sting's team win the match. He engaged in a feud with Orndorff, winning the Falls Count Anywhere match against Orndorff at Super Bowl Three. He then moved on to face Big Van, Big Van Vader. Cactus Jack wrestled Big Van Vader on April 6, 1993, winning by countout, but being severely beaten in the process. As a result, in a rematch with Vader on April 24th, the two executed a dangerous spot to sell a storyline injury. Harley Race removed the protective mats from ringside, and Vader powerbombed ja- uh, Foley onto the exposed concrete, causing a legitimate concussion and causing Foley a temporary loose sensation in his left foot. While Foley was away, WCW ran an angle where Cactus Jack's absence, uh, absence was explained by uh, a comedy storyline in which he went crazy. He was institutionalized, escaped, and developed amnesia. The comedy vinaigrettes that WCW produced were so bad that Fo- the Foley jokes in ha- he jokes in his actual first autobiography, Have a Nice Day, that they were the brainchild of WCW executives who regarded a surefire money-making feud as a problem that needed to be solved. So this spring springboards into the feud with Vader. In one of the most brutal matches in WCW history, Foley faced Vader in a Texas death match at Halloween Havoc. Race won the match for Vader by using a cattle prod on Cactus, knocking him out. The level of violence involved in this feud caused WCW to refuse, refuse to book Foley against Vader on any more pay-per-views. In March 16, 1994, 
during a European tour, Foley and Vader had, a, had one of the most infamous matches in wrestling history in Munich, Germany. Foley began a hangman, a planned move where the wrestler's head was tangled between the top two ring ropes. Neither wrestler was aware of the ring ropes, and it had to be drawn and uh, had been drawn extra tight before the event. Foley was barely able to move. When Foley finally freed himself from the ropes, he fell out of the ring. His ears were badly split at the back. Two cuts on both ears. When Foley re-entered the ring, the two wrestlers began trading punches. During this time, Vader reached up, grabbed Foley's ear, and ripped it off. The two men continued wrestling as the referee picked up the ear and gave it to the ring announcer. Vader claimed for years after that the ear had come off during the botched hangman maneuver. However, in a WWE Network video, Vader finally admitted after seeing the footage that he was the cause that Foley's ear was removed. Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan were scheduled to win the tag team titles of Slamboree in 94. Foley had to choose between reattaching his ear and wrestling in a live pay-per-view and winning the titles. You know what Foley did? He chose to wrestle. He won his only championship at WCW. Later on, he was frustrated with WCW's reluctance to work the storyline around losing his ear. So he actually pitched a storyline that would result in probably would have been some great matches and some great storylines had WCW done it properly. But even in the early stages of WCW, before all the Monday Night War stuff, you could tell how poorly run this company actually was. And how much they were just really opposed to uh, to violence and how much it was really all about, well, I mean, at that time it was really all about, uh, it was really more about guys like Sting and guys like Hogan and guys like Macho Man and guys like, it was really about the baby face. Like, that was really in a time period about that. And so I can actually only imagine how much... Uh, how much when there was even a hint of violence or in the, in that sense of blood or especially for losing an ear. I can imagine there was a lot of people back then that would give anything to just... Like, nope, nope. Nope, not having it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I can almost picture an old lady like crossing herself. Yeah. And... Oh, like the <laughs> oldest version of Dixie Carter that you can imagine that's just sitting around going, I don't... You know what? Um, I, I like this. I like this a lot because it's nice. But I don't like this because it's mean. I don't like this. It has blood and it's mean and it's 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 just too violent. Well, obviously nobody's nobody at WCW had ever watched a horror movie up to that point. Yeah, and what con considering the fact of what wrestling actually truly is, it's a vi it's violent. Like that's really what it comes down to. Absolutely, violence and wrestling do kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, and you want to sell stuff, then no offense, guys, but you got to make it real. <laughs> Absolutely, WCW also shared a brief co-promotion at the time with ECW, and during this time. Fully represented both WCW and ECW on television as the WCW Tag Champion. Facing Sabu at Hostile City Showdown in 94, during a promo, Fully spat on his tag team title belt and threw it to the ground to appeal to the hardcore fans, who, hardcore fans who, as we know, frown upon the mainstream. Uh, this is now, I'm going into the NWA Eastern slash ECW Wrestling from 94 and 96, then I'm going to jump into Smoky Mountain Wrestling. It's just the, the timeline flows better if I do it that way. So Cactus Jack first appearance in NWA affiliated Eastern Championship Wrestling came in May 31st, 1994 episode where Cactus Jack re revealed as Sabu's opponent for June 24th at ECW at the ECW Arena in Philly. After being part of the talent exchange between both ECW and WCW, Foley brought his tag team title belt, spat on it just like I talked about, and then he began his feud with Sabu. Foley began working, working the ECW tag team division on teams with Terry Funk, Mikey Whipwreck and Kevin Sullivan. He had two ECW World Tag Team Championship reigns with uh, Whipwreck while in ECW. After stints at Smoky Mountain Wrestling in Japan, which I'm going to get into, he returned to ECW to have a series of violent encounters with the Sandman. So good, by the way. So mm -hmm. good. While challenging him and claiming that he had never been beaten in a Falls Count Anywhere match. He then started to team with Trommy Dreamer, and according to Heyman, 
the hardcore style differentiated from Foley, Foley other from other traditional wrestlers. So in ECW, Foley was right at home. So basically, Paul Heyman has always kind of said ECW was always Foley's home because he was able to come out who he actually was. We all know Foley wasn't the best wrestler technically, but give him a bat with barbed wire wrapped around it, give him a steel chair, give him a kendo stick, give him a steel cage, give him anything that was a weapon involved. Foley has the edge. In any of those matches, I would give it to Foley over anybody else 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. And same with Terry Funk. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Same. Again, Terry Funk, not the most you know athletically gifted guy. Did not have the build or the or the, sh- or the strong, the strength, if you will. But give him a weapon, and all of a sudden you have an equalizer. Yep. Right? After seeing a sign in the audience one night that said, Kane Dewey, a reference to Foley's real-life son, Foley began a gimmick where he criticized hardcore wrestling and sought to renounce his status as a hardcore wrestling icon, and and he used a very technical, slow wrestling way to punish the audience. He said that it was one mission to save his partner from making a mistake of trying to please bloodthirsty fans. The mismatch partnership lasted until August 5th, 95, where he turned on Dreamer when they were teaming with the Pitbulls against Raven, Steve Richards, and the Dudley Brothers. Cactus Jack DDT'd his partner and joined Raven's Nest, as he wished to serve Raven's higher purpose. He remained on Raven, one of Raven's top henchmen for the remainder of his time in ECW. On August 28, Cactus beat the previously undefeated 911 as part of Foley's heel gimmick. He began praising WWF and WCW on ECW television. Not a smart move by any standpoint. It angered a lot of the ECW fans. Their That's anger... a great way to get heat, man. You oh yeah, get heat. Go do that. <laughs> yeah, completely organic then. heat. You don't get that much anymore. Their anger intensified uh, once word began to spread that Foley was leaving to join the WWF. In the Have a Nice Day book, Foley actually encountered an incident where an ECW roadie was asked, he asked an ECW roadie to sell t-shirts in Queens, New York, where he had been popular even as a heel. The man came back after being spat on numerous times by angry fans, and it made him fear for his life. Even when Foley tried to give a sincere goodbye to fans, he was met with chants of, you sold out by ECW fan base everywhere he went. Cactus was booked to face WWF hater Shane Douglas, who won when he put Jack into a figure four leg lock that allowed Mikey Whipwreck to hit him repeatedly with a steel chair. Foley's last ECW match was against Ripwreck on March 9th, 1996, and he recounts that he was not looking forward he was not looking to it forward to it due to the increasing hostile reactions he was getting everywhere he went. I can imagine, man, how scary that must be to actually be getting not just heat not heel heat, but like we're gonna kill you heat. Like we hate you heat. And we wish you were like we 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 hope that you get hung from the highest tree kind of heat. That's yeah. crazy. I can't imagine that. And um he was even getting hostile reactions when he wasn't even in character. So just going to the arenas or going to the shows, yeah. he was getting those reactions. Because those fans Crazy. were so passionate, so bloodthirsty. Even now, you say an unkind word about ECW to an ECW fan, you're going to get into a fight. And then it's so funny because I look at the whole work and I'm just like, oh my god, man, it's just a bunch of people working themselves. Because it's exactly what, that's the whole point of the character is to actually just talk about other, other companies and then get heat and get people mad at you. It's like, I don't understand how people... Misconstrued. I've never understood that as as a fan myself well, personally. But, yeah, I'm but just you, like you and I talked about blinders. How do you get to that place? We talked about blinders though, right? Like even you and I, when we were kids, we had our blinders on. Yeah, yeah, totally. We had our blinders on. It was like it was WWE or die. That was it, right? And then we branched out into WCW for a little bit. I was actually a WCW guy first, and I transitioned because I was always a Sting fan. But then yeah. I transitioned over. But it was my actual cousin who hooked me up with a couple early ECW tapes. And then everything changed for me. 
Yep. At that point, I was like, oh my God, why is everybody not doing this now? Obviously, being older and wiser now, I realized that not everybody was doing it because most people wanted to have a long life. Yeah, and if you're wrestling a long career, or if you're wrestling 300 days in ECW with all the kinds of shit that will be thrown around, you weren't wrestling for a long time. Your career was probably over in five years if you were lucky. Right. So during that match, though, that last match with Mikey Ripwreck, the fans actually cheered him throughout the entire match. They chanted, "Please don't go." And after the match, Foley told the audience that their reaction made everything for worthwhile, and made his exit by dancing with Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie to Frank Sinatra's song "New York, New York." Foley has said that this exit was his favorite moment in wrestling. So now I'm going to get into Smoky Mountain Wrestling in Japan before I touch on WWE. So at the tail end of 94, Foley joined Smoky Mountain Mountain Wrestling, or SMW, as Cactus Jack, causing Boot Bradley to lose his his SWM Beat the Champ champ Television Championship. He often teamed with Brian Lee to feud with Bradley and Chris Candido. Cactus Jack then began a crusade to rid Bradley of his talent, of his valet, sorry, Tamara Fetch. He ignited the feud between Candido, Candido, sorry, and Bradley when he accused Candido, sorry, of having sexual relations with Fitch. Ironically, Candido and Fitch were a couple in real life. (laughs) So that did kind of make for some hilarious television. Cactus Jack, he he then, sorry, left the SMW before the feud was resolved. In 95, he went to Japan and wrestled the International Wrestling Association of Japan, or the IWA, where he engaged in feuds with Terry Funk, Sojay Nakamaki. During his brief stint there, he was nicknamed the the Tsunami Stopper. Foley, however, soon returned to ECW to feud with the Sandman. Um, And then returning again to IWA as Cactus Jack, he began to feud with Leatherface, whom he had betrayed during a tag team match. Foley also continued to wrestle in independent circuits, while wrestling championships on Ozark Mountain and Steel City Circuits. In August 20th, 1995, IWA organized a King of the Deathmatch tournament. Now, this is an important moment of Foley's career. This is where everything kind of changed. This is where the hardcore game really went up to another level. In their, in their Kawasaki Dream event, each level of the tournament featured a new deadly gimmick. Uh, Foley's first round was a barbed wire baseball bat, thumbtack deathmatch in which he defeated Terry Gordy. The second round was a barbed wire board, bed of nails match, where he defeated Sojay Nakamaki. The final match was against Terry Funk, was a barbed wire rope, barbed wire, ring, C4 board, time bomb death match. Mm-hmm. Try saying that ten times fast. While Cactus Jack won with the help of Tiger Jeet Singh. Oh. After the match, both men were ravaged, by the wire and burned by the C4 explosions. Foley later said that he only received 300 bucks for the entire night. But the two, in 2010, he wrote, Looking back at that match with Hanjo is probably the performance I'm proudest of. After the tournament, he teamed with Tracy Smothers for a quick run with the IWA tag team titles. Now we go to the pinnacle of where most fans know him from. His WWF. Debut. This is where we get into kind of the thick of everything. And I'm going to play some snippets of some cool clips. And I'm also going to talk about, well, the three faces of Foley. So in 96, he signed a contract with WWF. At this time, WWF did not have a use for Foley as enhancement talent. He was shown several designs for a new character. A man with a leather mask and chains. Um, However, WWF said that it was too dark and they only left the mask. So Foley arrived in WWF in 96 with a new gimmick. Perhaps his most famous personality, at least in my opinion, Mankind. 
a mentally deranged schizophrenic which consistently squealed, even throughout his matches, shrieked mummy, spoke, in a rant, spoke to a rat named George, enjoyed pain, physically abused himself, such as pulling out his hair, wore a mask, and lived in a boiler room. Hence his specialty match, the boiler room brawl. My all-time favorite Undertaker match. Mankind finished his move with a mandible claw nerve hold, which involves sticking his fingers in his opponent's mouth, which I always found to be a little gross. And I'm kind of glad he got the sock, just for sanitary reasons. But if you actually clamp down, like if you put your fingers, like say, it's it's really weird, and it's re- it looks really gross, but if you actually stick your fingers in your mouth, and you press down on on that on that muscle, it literally shuts everything down. To a point where you feel yourself literally falling asleep. To the point where it actually really does put you to sleep. I didn't know that. I always thought... It, I, I, Is that where... I thought it was just supposed to be pushing down. I thought he would anyways push down on the tongue. You're basically pushing down... On, I don't even know what's called. Right underneath the... T- the spot right underneath the tongue. It's where the tongue um, connects to like the bot your jaw, right? Exactly. Yeah, if you yeah. press down on that, from what I understand... Do you have to press actually hard? push down, then yeah. that actually literally incapac... It, it supposedly would incapacitate you... But to a point where you can actually you can sell that and actually make that look real because there are there 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 are people out there who can actually do that. <laughs> wow, that's it's creepy. Hope no, don't try that at home, guys. Okay, do not try right, that. Don't at try home. that on your friend. Don't don't just look at your buddy while you're listening and be like, hey man, I just want to put my fingers in your mouth. I just want to see if this works and see if it actually puts you to sleep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So his catchphrase was also "Have a nice day" uh, during that time. And on April first, ninety six, episode of Raw's War, the day after WrestleMania. 12, Mankind debuted and defeated Bob Hawley, quickly moving into a feud with The Undertaker. The two, beg- the two began interfering in each other's matches until they were booked at the first ever Boiler Room Brawl, in which the goal was to escape the arena's Boiler Room and reach the ring to take the urn from Paul Bear. The Undertaker appeared to have won, but Bear refused to hand him the urn, allowing Mankind to win, thus, for the time being, ending the relationship between Paul and The Undertaker. While Mankind was managed, managed by Paul Bear, he referred to him as Uncle Paul. Mankind then earned the number one contendership to face the WWF champion Shawn Michaels at In Your House Mind Games. Michaels won by disqualification via interference by Vader and The Undertaker. The Mankind and Undertaker rivalry continued to the first ever Buried Alive match at In Your House Buried Alive. Undertaker won the match, but Paul Bearer, The Executioner, Mankind, and other heels attacked The Undertaker and buried him alive. Afterward, The Undertaker challenged Mankind to a match at Survivor Series, which The Undertaker won. The feud continued after another match at In Your House Revenge of the Taker, for the heavyweight championship, which Undertaker had won at WrestleMania 13. Undertaker won the match, and Bearer took a leave of absence. Continuing the feud, Jim Ross then began conducting a series of interviews with Mankind. During these interviews, Ross brought up the topic of Foley's home videos, and the hippie-inspired character he played in them Dude Love, as well as his tormented journey into wrestling. The interview also had an effect on the fans, who began cheering Mankind, turning him into a face. So at this point, I just want to play... One whole clip, and then the end of the clip. This is actually a four-parter, but I'm only playing clip one, and then the tail end of clip four. That's all I'm playing. Right on. And for those of you, um, just to, just to did a little bit more research on this. Um, the mandible claw is a wrestling maneuver, which, when applied correctly on an individual, can cause intense pain. Per, uh, popularized in the 1990s by American wrestler Mick Foley, the move based heavily on the mandible nerve pinch. Uh, finishing hold into the 1960s uh, physician turned wrestler Sam Shepard and that's where uh, apparently Mick Foley got the whole inspiration from to actually do that move in the first place that's cool thanks for doing the research on that that's awesome alright so this is like I said clip one I'm pretty much going to play this 
close to entirely through. It's about six minutes. And then I'm going to talk a little bit more and play the last clip of clip four. So enjoy this one, guys, if you don't remember it. That's the word most often used to describe mankind. The path of carnage he has carved through the World Wrestling Federation has made mankind one of the most feared and hated superstars in the WWF. What makes a man love pain so much that he willingly mutilates his own body? Over the next few weeks, I'm going to take you on a different kind of odyssey. A 26-year journey of a young boy named Mick Foley. Boyhood dreams turned into a living hell. What do you think the biggest misconceptions are that the uh, WWF fans have as it relates to mankind? That I'm a bad person. Jimmy, there's plenty of good reasons to hate me. I just don't want people to hate me for untruths and partial truths and rumors. You see, I, when I was a kid, I played cowboys and Indians. Now, who were the good guys? The cowboys coming over the hill to rape, pillage, innocent women and children? I was always the Indian, Jimmy. I always stood for the underdog. That makes me a bad person standing up for what I believe in, and I guess you got me dead to rights. I'm a bad man. wasn't like the other boys. He embraced physical pain as friend and companion. I was eight years old at Minnesota Elementary School playing a game of kill the guy with the ball, which may even be an Olympic sport these days. And in chasing one of the other students, I, I, I made a leap for his legs and the back of his foot kicked me in the lip and I didn't know what happened I knew it hurt Jimmy I knew it hurt bad but all of a sudden people started looking at me in a different way like there was something wrong with me I looked down at my Chicago Bears back in the days when they were 2 and 12 in the waiting days of Dick Butkus and my Chicago Bears white sweatshirt had suddenly turned red and children were running from me scared and I was bleeding I was in pain, and I was loving it, because I felt like I'd finally found something in my life that I could do better than everybody else, handle pain. Someone said, oh, that's just vampire blood, and then saw the open wound from which the blood was flowing. I've still got that shirt, Jimmy, and I remember thinking, wouldn't it be nice if I could do something in my life? where I can do this all the time. Get that attention every night. Stockbrokers can't do it. Teachers can't do it. The President of the United States can't bleed for a living, but pro wrestlers can. It's the first time that I realized that I had a calling in my life and I followed it right down the line. That's all I wanted to do. My brother and I watched them all. Chief K. Strongbow, Bruno San Martino, the Valiant Brothers. That's what we wanted to be. Then I broke his nose by backdropping him into his bedroom wall, and Mom said no more wrestling. But she didn't say no more dreaming. Mick Foley continued to pursue his dream, but he paid a heavy price. The emotional scars of a strange childhood are still evident. 
tell my son when he gets to be 15 not to be the guy who eats strange things. I never exactly brought it upon myself. Other people and their cliques, for lack of a better word, they would gang up on me because I was different, because I acted different, looked different. They were throwing worms at me, Jimmy. Little weekly worms they were throwing at me. Bending down in athletic class, doing my hurdler stretch, and there was a bombardment of worms being thrown at me. So what do you do to retaliate? You throw the worm back at seven or eight people? It's not the fact they were hurting me. They were wounding my pride. They were looking at me like I was garbage. So I picked up the largest specimen, Jimmy, and I sucked it down to show them that their attempts to hurt my pride would not be successful. I thought, Jimmy, that I'd shown them. But then, sure enough, the story became exaggerated as everything in life does, and it no longer became, well, Mickey Foley ate one worm because some kids were picking on him. It became Mickey Foley eats a plate full of worms every day. You think I got many dates after that, Jimmy? Probably not. Do you think girls wanted to kiss a boy who had worms on his breath? I'm a good kisser, but I never got the chance to show it. What am I going to practice on myself, Jimmy? I never had the chance to show the world that I could love and could be loved. Because they ruled me out because I had a strange appetite for strange things. I'm not going to say I didn't accept money to eat other strange things, but the fact is the damage had been done, and I went through my entire high school days without date number one. You don't think that scarred my soul? Well, maybe you're not looking deep enough. Next week, we'll look deep into mankind's scarred soul. So, like I was saying, the interviews kind of went on for a couple more weeks, and then they culminated in the fourth week with this one. I just want to play the last two minutes of this clip because, to me, this hands down, these four, like, four-part interviews that they did, seven minutes long, probably hands down, in my opinion, every up-and-coming wrestler should watch these because this is a pinnacle of how to stay in character, how to sell yourself, and how to literally be funny while being completely deranged. And, and being just absolutely entrenched in your character. Of absolutely having a, the most unequivocally... Com, 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 most unequivocally obvious understanding of your character is what I was really looking for there. Is the fact well, that, like, give yourself that so complete deep. of a backstory. Like, yeah. you, you, you're talking... He, how many hours you would have had a thought to get yeah. this literal whole backstory of this deranged character, which is why... This persona is probably his most beloved because the effort that went in to developing this whole backstory. And the best part was when we went and saw him live at the, the 20th uh, anniversary show of the Hell in the Cell. Um, it was amazing to see him in a little bar literally cutting the exact same promo. And for those of you who, who were there, you totally understand what we're talking about. And for those of you who didn't get to experience it, um, it's really unfortunate because it was unbelievable to see this man 20 years later actually hop right back into that same character of talking to Jimmy, talking to JR, and conducting the same interview with all the same emotions and everything behind it. I was literally feeling the exact same. It was amazing. It was like you could literally feel a pin drop in that room because it was just so ominous of how much he just entrenched himself back into that character again. Absolutely. And if you didn't get to see it, because maybe you don't live in Ontario, don't live anywhere close to Fergus, you can actually watch the interview. 
You can watch the whole thing that we saw on the WWE Network. Yep. They actually did it. They cut it together. 30 different camera angles. Really amazing. So, listen to the last two minutes of this one, and then we're going to get back into the, uh, the fully WWE career, if you will. What is it about pain that I love? Well, you guys feel just like every other person. You see that? It hurts. Is it when I can't get up? When my little boy says, Daddy, I want to play ball, and I can't do it? Is that where the fun starts? Is it where a doctor injects a 12-inch needle into the discs in my spine so I can wrestle one more day? Whoopee! Let the party begin! I can't believe you sit here and ask me those questions. Do I bring it on to myself? I haven't done a damn thing to you. All you've done to people is mislead them and let them think that I'm having the time. I'm like, God! kid i thought for sure i went to school the next day i'm like yo did anybody see that like mankind killed jr basically i was just so in <laughs> awe of the fact of what i was watching and I, what i thought was actually you guys are allowing this on television that's insane the inhumanity right that's going on right now that's good old jr what's going on here how could you do that how could such you do a that lovable you person. didn't even knock his hat off either when you went and hit it <laughs> that's because jr always kept it classy he right. always kept it classy all right so jumping back in shortly after the interviews um, and around this time, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels won the Tag Team Championships with Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. But Michaels was injured and could no longer compete. Mankind tried to replace him, but Austin said he wanted nothing to do with the Freak. He re-signed himself to facing Hart and Bulldog alone next week. Halfway through the match, however, fully debuted a new persona known as Dude Love. He helped Austin take the victory, becoming the new Tag Team Champions. Austin fully vacated their Tag Team titles when Austin suffered a neck, a neck injury in the match at SummerSlam. Dude Love feuded with Triple H, as the two competed in a Falls Count Anywhere match. One of Foley's most memorable vignettes aired before the match began, in which Dude Love, Mankind, discussed... Dude Love and Mankind discussed who should wrestle the upcoming match. Eventually, they decided that it should be Cactus Jack. And Foley's old character made his WWF debut. Cactus Jack won the match with a pile driver through a table. Shortly thereafter... ECW's Terry Funk joined the WWF at the time as Chainsaw Charlie, and in 1998 Royal Rumble, fully participated under three personas, Dacus Jack, Mankind, and Dude Love. So he had a 3 and 30 shot of winning, and he, and he did, still did, couldn't pull it off. Still didn't win. <laughs> still didn't win. Oh, man. That was great. That's one of the things he talked about in the thing where he actually told his son, I was the only guy to compete in the Royal Rumble three times. And you still couldn't win? And his son win? looked at him and said, you still couldn't win? <laughs> he had three shots. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, fully participated under three personas, like I said. And then later on, Charlie and Jack defeated the New Age Outlaws at WrestleMania... Uh, uh, Roman numerals... 14. Yeah, there you go, thank you. 14. And a dumpster match to win the tag team titles. The next night, however, Vince McMahon stripped them of the belts and scheduled a rematch in a steel cage, which the Outlaws won with help from the new allies, D-Generation X. On April 6, 1998, fully turned heel when Cactus Jack explained the fans would not see him anymore because they did not appreciate him. They only cared about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Vince McMahon explained to Austin the next week that he would face a mystery opponent at Unforgiven. The opponent turned out to be Dude Love, who won the match by disqualification, meaning Austin retained his title. McMahon, displeased with the outcome, required Foley to prove he deserved another shot at Austin's title with a number one contendership match against his former partner, Terry Funk. Foley won, and after the match, a proud McMahon came out to Dude Love's music and presented Foley with a Dude Love costume. At Over the Edge, Dude Love took on Austin for the title. McMahon designated his subordinates, Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson, as timekeeper and ring announcer, and made himself the special referee. The Undertaker, however, came to ringside to ensure McMahon called the match fairly. With his presence, Dude Love lost the match and was fired by McMahon on the June 1st episode of Raw. On the same episode of Raw, Foley reverted to his Mankind character, who began, began wearing the untucked shirt with a loose necktie and resumed his feud with The Undertaker. At King of the Ring in June 28th, the two performed the third Hell in the Cell match, which became the most notable matches in professional wrestling history. Foley received numerous injuries and took two dangerous and highly influential bumps. His character lost the match to conclude their storyline. This match, like we all know, hands down, is the most important match probably in Foley's career. Because this was the match that eventually led to his WWF, at the time, title reign. And for a guy like Foley to be considered the champion, even though it was for sh very short runs, he's still a WWF champion. And that's important. That's important mm -hmm. for history, because this was literally the first everyman character, if you will. The guy that looked like your regular Joe that won the title. He wasn't jacked up supernova. He wasn't a bodybuilder with, like, muscles upon muscles. He was literally a regular guy. And that's why, that's why I believe, in my opinion, wrestling, the landscape of wrestling kind of changed with his title reign because it allowed the everyman to dream that they could actually have a shot in this business. Yeah, basically with uh, the changing of the guard between him, uh, between Foley, uh, Michaels, and Bret Hart when they made Bret Hart the champ for the first time, and that was the changing of the guard of the let's let's make the let's make the smaller man first, but still fit. And then there's a guy like Foley that came in, and you're absolutely right. I feel like that was the absolute changing of the guard of um, you don't look like you have to hit a gym at all in your entire life as long as you are absolutely as entertaining as you possibly can be. And you have that kind of charisma, and you're you're as over as Foley was. Then there's every reason in the world why why, why you you can't be the world champion. Absolutely, you're 100 percent right. He did that. <laughs> he absolutely did do that. And we love you for that, Mick Foley. Absolutely. So I'm going to play the clip, the most infamous clip from the Hell in a Cell match. We all know the infamous JR call, the greatest call in sports history, in my opinion. Yep. So enjoy this, guys. We've all heard it 50 million times, but let's hear it one more. history and the scariest part about that is the fact that when they said and he actually fully makes mention of this in the uh in the 20 years of hell tour and which like george mentioned before he catch it on the wwe network 
um, is the, the fact is that JR uttered the words, they killed him, as in almost conducting a conspiracy theory type call there, but at the exact same time, it's like, what's a guy to do when you literally have no idea and having the fact that that'd be one of the greatest sports call, one of the greatest wrestling calls in wrestling history, but the fact of how on spot that was because of having no idea that this was actually going to take place, that only on, and only as many as you can count on one hand knew about that, of what was going to take place that day. Absolutely. And after this message from our sponsors, we are going to get more into the fully, we're going to get into the fully championship reign, finish off his life, and then I'm going to play that promo. I wasn't sure if I was going to play that promo, but you know what? I feel like I'm going to play that promo with Mankind and do love discussing who should take on Triple H. So right after these messages, we'll get into that. All right, guys, we're back. So, uh, yeah, we were talking Mick Foley, WWF Championship reign. Uh, This is when he was pretty much fighting for the title, had multiple reigns between 98 and 2000. Before that, though, I do want to play that that promo. Forgot to play it earlier, so that's my fault. But this is do love and mankind actually discussing who should take on Triple H before Cactus Jack debuts. This was cool because this was a chance for Foley to literally do all three personas. In the same night. Two pre-recorded and then one live. So this is a pretty cool moment in wrestling history. <laughs> oh, have mercy, Hunter, and especially your finer China. I know what you must be thinking. Dude, what are you doing back here when you should be out there kicking some heavy duty booty all over the garden? Well, Hunter, my man, I believe it's time. We had a little rap. Ho, ho. Because you see, falls count anywhere. Well, that's not exactly my bag, baby. The pinfalls in the hot dog stand, the pinfalls in the street, the chairs, the tables. It's not exactly a love thing. But I know somebody, Daddy, whose bag it indeed is. <laughs> He's my man. He's my main man. You might even say, well, Daddy, a kooky type of cat. Let's bring him out right now. Oh, mankind, my main mandible up high, big man. Down. Oh, you're too slow. Mankind, good to have you at the love shack. Hi, dude. Thanks what? for having me here. The pleasure is all mine. You really are eye candy for the chicks, dude. That much I know, Daddy, but you gotta tell me about this wacky match. Falls count anywhere. Dude. As much as I've dreamed about destroying Hunter Hearst Helmsley, I know you have. There's many horrible things that I'd like to do to him. I know you can. I know someone who dreams about it even more. Who is it, Manny? Someone who's willing to do even worse things than I am. Oh, no. Are you thinking what I think you're thinking? I think I am thinking what you think. I think you're thinking. Can you bring him out, Manny? Here he comes. Where is he? Got this job. Super cool. So he comes on out and just, just great, just a great, great, great all around promo. Again, showing the the real charisma this guy had on the mic. I mean, you know, again, and just how much work that took to actually cut all three promos and put them all together, and then edit all of that and put that all together and green screen everything and all that stuff. Like, I can't, I can't only imagine how much work that actually took to put all three of those together and how much by the end of it. 
all of the editors are probably sitting there going, let's never have a guy come in here and do three things at once ever again. <laughs> please, no, Vince, please don't. <laughs> so before we get into this, though, I mean, we all know the Hell in a Cell match was kind of his big, his big pinnacle, big moment yeah. in his career. But I, I don't want to take up too much time because there's still so much fully to cover. But if you could look back at that match, and other than the infamous bumps, the infamous JR call, what about that match sticks out in your mind? Of the Hell in the Cell? Yeah, let's not take too much time. But what out of that match sticks the most in your mind? The Hell in the Cell stuck out to me because um, I remember sitting there, I remember watching that match um, when I was in Singapore. I was on tour with a band, and I remember sitting there, uh, it, was, it was very late at night, and I thought about the match, and I turned it on, and I remember sitting there um, when he made the first fall, and then when uh, he took the second bump through the cell, into the ring, and uh, I'm getting kind of choked up now talking about it because of the fact that uh, it, that match is so important to me and so special to me um, because of what I watched that night and what everybody else will never get to see again of a human being that put their body on the line of in a way that they didn't have to for us. That it was one match, and it was uh, a lot that it took to put into that match, and a lot of which Mick is still suffering from today to, to deal with because of what he put his body through, and um, I think I'm just going to leave it off because I could honestly, I could talk about that moment forever and how special it was to me and how much it actually meant to me because of what he gave to us so unbelievably needlessly and also very, he needed to do that at the same time also because of his explanation of, of where he was at in his career and how he needed to, to move himself up the ranks and everyone else was just doing that all at the same time and he needed that something special to do it. That was the something special to do it. And honestly, I just want to say thank you, Mick, for, for doing that for us because that gives us something to look back on that, uh, that uh, is, a, is, a, is something of a, a legendary status that none of us will ever forget. Yeah, for me it was, and that match was, I mean, the bumps were definitely special moments and they did stick out. But for me it was when, after he took the bump, they brought the stretcher out and they wheeled him out. He got up from the stretcher. And he just proceeded to climb back up the cage. After already having broken fingers from climbing the cage the first time. And that to me was like, wow. Like, this this guy's all heart. This guy's all heart and he's yeah. all determination. He's giving us everything. So That's what I feel when I talk, when I think about this match. I think about just the heart and the soul of which this man uh, gave us that night. Yeah. And so for anybody who hasn't seen that match, I mean, if you're a wrestling fan, you have... But for anybody that hasn't, it is available on the WWE Network. First or, of all, you're crazy if you've never seen it. But if you haven't, go and check it out. Go Please and check do. it out. Or there's the there's if you you may have a DVD collection at home, the Hell in the Cell DVDs. You may have iTunes. You can buy the WWF stuff on iTunes as well. Check it out. It's worth it. Every penny you're going to get, and that's a match you will definitely watch over again and again. And that was your probably that was your favorite moment as well. That was your moment as well. Was him getting off the stretcher. And yeah, that was my moment, it. man. Like the, the determination, the the heart. Yeah. That, that 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 he showed. I remember sitting there watching. I was watching it with my my dad and two of my buddies at the time. We watched it actually live at the pay per view, not live at the arena, but we watched it on pay per view. Yeah, same. That night, and I remember looking at my dad, going, "Is he crazy?" And my dad looked back at me, and my dad's like, "Not crazy, but he's definitely not smart." <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? Like, I mean, and that was that at that moment, I was already a fan. But that took me to new heights again, just being like the everyman, a bigger guy like that, the underdog. That that's who I cheer for. Yeah, I, I always remember. cheer. I always cheer for the underdog. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my heels and I love my faces and I love my supernovas in the ring. But every once in a while, there's that underdog character where you're like, you know what? I've watched you take bump after bump, piece of crap after piece of crap, and yet you keep getting up and you keep giving me your all. 
I'll support you. Yeah. I'll support you through and through. All right. So WWF Championship reigns. You know, this spans over two years on and off reigns. But, um, you know, after the Hell in a Cell match, and we all know the controversial wisdoms that hold, fully, uh, fully rose to main event status. But live television crowds didn't initially get behind him because of that match and how brutal it was. Following a couple of months, teaming with Kane, together winning the tag team championships on two separate occasions, Foley decided that crowds might respond better if mankind were more comedy oriented. So he abandoned the tortured soul characteristics and became more goofy. Uh, more of a goofy broken down oaf. He began the transition into the character following SummerSlam 98 after Kane turned on him in the two lost tag team championships. Following month, Foley began an angle with Vince McMahon, where Mankind would try to befriend the hated Mr. McMahon. And on an October 5th episode of Raw, while McMahon was in the hospital nursing wounds suffered at the hands of The Undertaker and Kane, Mankind arrived to cheer him up and introduced us to a completely new character. And this was the turn, the changing of the guard of Mick Foley as the babyface, if you will. Exactly. And this, this character is very special. This character, in my opinion, is almost the fourth character of Foley. Yep. <laughs> this character is Mr. Sacco. I'm defying I saw what happened. I felt really bad, so I brought you some presents. Say hello to your ball. Hey, 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 hey. Favorite part about this whole thing is this. Take it out. Take it all out. I can't wait to get out of here. Well, it's just fine to me. How about you, doctor? Oh, I'll take it from here, nurse. <laughs> there was when he grabs the balloons and he's throwing it out after purple and negative. And he's like, Take this crap with you. Oh, uh, the bed, the bedpan and getting over the head is, yeah. is definitely my favorite of that for sure. So take it all out. Get began, this crap with you. And then Sako became an overnight sensation. He began putting the sock on his hand before applying the finisher and uh, uh, stuffing a smelly sock in the mouths of opposing wrestlers. The sweat sock became massive, massively popular with the fans, mainly because of Jerry Lawler. A lot of people may not know that, but it's definitely because of Jerry Lawler because every time he would pull it out. He would refer to it as a dirty, smelly, sweaty, repulsive, and vile sock. And the best part was, in the beginning, when he first started using it, it really was. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Before buying tube socks from Walmart, it really was. It really was. Well, we all know he's a miser, right? He always jokes about how him and uh, Owen Hart used to see who could last longer on 20 bucks. So, you know that definitely it was. But, you know, at that time, too, we also know that there was a storyline with McMahon manipulating mankind. And he saw him as a father figure, and he did his bidding, and he created the Hardcore Championship, and he awarded it to Mankind, and that was his first ever champion. Uh, Mankind was then pushed as a favor to win the WWF Championship at Survivor Series, but McMahon appeared to be manipulating the tournament, so Mankind would win. He and Rock both reached the finals when McMahon turned on Mankind, and as the Rock placed Mankind in the sharpshooter, McMahon ordered the timekeeper to ring the bell. Even though Mankind didn't submit, the reference to the Montreal screw job from a year before was definitely there. And as a result of Survivor Series, Mankind officially turned face, while The Rock turned heel and the crown jewel of McMahon's new corporation fraction of the time. Sorry, faction. After weeks of trying to get his hands on McMahon's new faction, the corporation, Mankind received a title shot against The Rock at Rock Bottom and In Your House. Mankind won the match by shoving a, a, strench, <laughs> a stench ridden, and that was in quotations from Jerry King Lawler's mouth, sock down The Rock's gullet. 
But McMahon ruled that the title would not change hands because man, Mankind did not win by pinfall or submission. After several weeks of going after the corporation, Mankind defeated The Rock to win his first WWF Championship on December 29th. It was a tape broadcast on January 4th, 1999, so the WWE date recognizes it as the beginning of the title reign. Having title changes on broadcast television rather than pay-per-view were uncommon in professional wrestling, but because of the Monday Night Wars at the time, TV ratings became more important. The rival, WCW, attempting to take advantage of the fact that their show Monday Nitro aired live while Mankind's title victory was taped a week before, announcer Tony Schiavone revealed the ending of the Mankind Rock match before it aired. He added sarcastically, that'll put a lot of butts in the seat. Well, let me tell you guys, the move backfired. Nielsen ratings showed that Raw won the rating battle that night, despite the Hulk Hogan versus Kevin Nash main event. Everyone which, found out that Mick was going to win the title, and they all changed channels. They all changed channels, and all it led them. to the reformation of the New World Order. Fully said the ratings indicated indi- the ratings indicated that the large number of viewers switched from Nitro to Raw to see him win the title, and he took great personal pride from this. Mankind lost the championship to Rock in an I Quit match at Rumble which was regarded as one of the company's most violent matches. During the match, Foley took several bumps, including, and I quote, I wrote this all down, 11 unprotected chair shots to the head, jumping off of the uh, soundboard onto the floor, being semi-electrocuted. This match was also featured in the documentary Beyond the Mat, which shows the impact the match had on Foley and his family who were sitting at ringside. The match ended with Mankind Lost Consciousness, and the Rock allies played a recording of Mankind saying, I quit from a promo he had cut earlier. The match was also voted the match of the year in 99 by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and Mankind won the title back at a rematch at Halftime Heach, which aired during the Super Bowl that year for the first ever empty arena match on January 31st. I think that's like the only empty, isn't that like one of two empty arena matches? That yes, ever the, ad- the other one was done in TNA. Yep. TNA did one with Scott Steiner and I think Sting. I actually forget who was even in the match. I just remember that there was a second. I know that there was a second uh, in an yes, empty the, arena match. Though. Yeah, but th- this was the first and probably the best. If I remember correctly, the second one did not live up to the hype of the first one, for sure. No. And then the two competed in a last man standing match at St. Valentine's Day Massacre that year, which ended without a winner, meaning that Mankind retained the title. The next night, McMahon booked the ladder match for the championship, and The Rock won from the help of the Big Show. So, um, you know, there was a lot of a great 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 moments during that you know short title reign three-time champion you you can't even get mad at that you know eventually the rock and um uh mankind would go on to defeat the big show later and then he would team up with uh mankind test shamrock to take on the corporation over the edge later in the year foley and the rock patched up their friendship and teamed up to form the comedy team called the rock and sock connection we all remember The Rock, This Is Your Life. I'm not going to play that, but if you haven't had a chance to check that out, go check that out. Foley helped Raw achieve its highest rating ever with a segment featuring himself as Mankind and The Rock as This Is Your Life. The segment aired on September 27, 1999, and it received an 8.4 rating. On a Nielsen scale, that's like an F5 tornado. That's huge ratings. In August 99, Foley returned after a three-month absence, recovering from knee surgery to resume his feud with Triple H. Mankind drew with Triple H in a match for a number one contender for WWF Championship, which resulted in a triple threat match between Steve Austin, Triple H, and Mankind at SummerSlam. Foley won the championship for the third time at SummerSlam, pinning the reigning, Austin, reigning champion Austin. Mankind's win led to an enraged Triple H to assault Austin, justifying Austin's absence while he healed from a knee injury of his own. The next night on Raw, Triple H defeated Mankind to win his first championship. The feud then developed with Mankind and McMahon-Helmsley regime, led by Triple H. 
fully then reinvented his Cactus Jack persona in January 2000. He faced Triple H for the WWE Championship at Royal Rumble in a street fight. Cactus Jack used barbed wire, uh, thumbtacks, and his trademark as his trademark weapons. And Triple H won the match by delivering two pedigrees, the second one into a pile of tacks. The feud culminated with a rematch in No Way Out in a Hell in a Cell, where the stipulation held was if Cactus Jack did not win the title, Foley would retire from wrestling. During the match, they made their way into the top of the cell, and Foley was preparing to pile drive Triple H into the barbed wire that was set on fire, but Triple H reversed it into a backdrop, causing the cage to give way. Foley fell through the canvas again. One pedigree later, Triple H won the match and ended Mick's career. Foley left a few weeks, left for a few weeks, but returned to request Linda McMahon to wrestle for the title at WrestleMania 2000 against Triple H, The Rock, and Big Show. Triple H won, and Foley did not wrestle again for four years. He did come back for a brief, brief time between 2000 and 2001 as WWF Commissioner. And this was hilarious because Foley's character as Commissioner kind of became a role model for nerds, as he would call it. He would crack jokes, make no attempt to appear tough or scary. He also had a knack. Uh, during this time to have no spot for his office. Rather, his office will be placed all over the place, as in odd places, closets, closed down. Um, I remember one episode of Raw where it was like closed, it was a closed down uh, food concession stand. Yeah. And he rolled up like the, you no, know, they have the roll gates that close lock the food stand. He rolled up the gate and, and he was Mick eating. Foley's office. It was Mick Foley's office and he was eating a bag of Ruffles. And then he closed the gate down and he reopened it and he was eating an ice cream cone. So it was like stuff like that. It was just hilarious. Uh, the forklift was probably my favorite one. Yes. Literally making an office out of a forklift. Yeah. Amazing. And then, and then during this time, he also garnered, he also garnered, you know, the cheap pop uh, catchphrases where he would yep. shamelessly declare each WWF show that he was thrilled to be right here. In Brampton, Ontario. In whatever city they were in. And then the big thumbs up after and the smile. That was my favorite. Yeah. The cheese ball thumbs up and the cheese ball smile. Just cheese all around. Well, that's what I wrote down. Just the, the whole kind of cheese. During right. this time, though, he did engage in rivalries with Angle, Edge, and Christian and Vince McMahon without actually wrestling them. He left the position in 2000 after being fired on screen by McMahon during a brutal beatdown. Uh, he made a surprise return to Raw prior to WrestleMania 17 and announced that he would be the special guest referee in the match between Mr. McMahon and his son Shane at WrestleMania. After WrestleMania, Foley made sporadic appearances here and there, and then he returned as commissioner in 2001, near the end of the invasion angle. During the brief tenor, Foley had the uh, opportunity to shoot on WWF's direction and how dissatisfied he was with it, saying there was far too many championships in the company. He booked un he booked unification matches prior to the final pay-per-view of the storyline Survivor Series, after Survivor Series, he ended his commissionership as Vince McMahon's request, and he left the company. Um, during his absence from 2003 to 2005, he was all over the place. He went, uh, in 2003, he was wrestling an international wrestling cartel, where he was special guest referee between Dusty Rhodes and Jerry Lawler. He did appear in the innocent, he did not appear in the independent circuit until 2004, where he appeared in a Japanese promotion, Hustle, and he returned to the ring to face Tanishikaki Kawada for a Triple Crown Heavyweight Championship, but ended up losing. On September 11, 2004, he made his debut at Ring of Honor, and he kind of promo praising Ring of Honor, referring to the Ring of Hardcore, thus establishing himself as a babyface. On October 3rd, fully refereed a match between Jerry Lawler and Slick Wagner Brown for the New England Wrestling Promotion. And on October 15th, he returned to Ring of Honor, where he confronted Ricky Steamboat, who claimed, Steamboat, sorry, who claimed that traditional wrestling was better than hardcore wrestling. The next day, both Foley and Steamboat cut promos on each other, leading to a match that the wrestlers handpicked. Uh, Nigel McGuinness and Chad Coyler representing Steamboat, and Dan Math and BJ Whitmer representing Foley. 
which won the uh, which the match was won by McGinnis and Collar. November six, Foley teased a heel turn when he was called Ring of Honor Championship Champion at the time. Samoa Joe soft core. On November twentieth, Foley made surprising appearance in New York Wrestling Connection, making a run in during a Mikey Whiprack and Ken Sh- and Ken Scampy's match against Mayhem and Tony Burma, where he held Whiprack and Scampy win. He also made an appearance on on a night of appreciation for Sabu, where he referred to the match between Shane Douglas and where he refereed sorry the match between Shane Douglas and Raven, where Sabu and himself interfered in the match, where Sabu himself sorry interfered in the match to help Douglas win. And then uh, you know on February nineteenth of the following year, he resumed his feud with Samoa Joe, teasing a return to the ring, but instead choosing Vordell Walker to fight Joe. After Joe defeated Walker, fully introduced his backup plan, New Cactus Jack, to fight Joe in a second match, which Joe won as well. Uh, and then back and forth, a couple of various appearances. And then in 2006, uh, sorry, in 2003, he returned to referee the Hell in a Cell match between Triple H and Kevin Nash at Bad Blood. During the Raw broadcast of Madison Square Garden, he was honored for his achievements in the ring and presented with the retired WWF Hardcore Championship belt. The evening ended with fully taking a beating and and kicked downstairs by Randy Orton and Ric Flair. In December 2003, Foley returned to replace Steve Austin as co-general manager for Raw. He soon grew tired of the day-to-day travel and left his full-time duties to write and spend time with his family. In the storyline, Foley was afraid to wrestle uh, as a wrestle a match with Intercontinental Champion Randy Orton. And on December 15th episode of Raw, he walked out of the match rather than face him. The result of the match was ruled a draw. After Foley walked backstage, Orton confronted him, asking why he walked out of the match. Call him a coward in the process before spitting in his face. Fully rocked out of the arena afterwards. In 2004, he returned again, competing in the Royal Rumble and eliminating both Orton and himself in his, with his trademark Cactus Jack clothesline. He and The Rock reunited the Rock and Sock connection and lost a handicap match to Evolution at WrestleMania 20. Foley and Orton continued to feud, culminating in a hardcore match for the Intercontinental Championship at Backlash, and Orton defeated Foley as his Cactus Jack persona to retain the title. Foley regards this match, though, as possibly the best of his career. And then he appeared in color commentary in ECW's One Night Stand. And uh, he returned again in 2005 in a match where fans were able to vote for which persona would appear. Mankind, Do Love, or Cactus Jack against Carlito at Taboo Tuesday. The fans voted for Mankind, who went on to win the match. And on February 16, 2006, Raw, Foley returned to referee championship match between Edge and John Cena. After Cena won, Edge attacked Foley. Following week, Edge challenged Foley to a match at WrestleMania 22, and Edge defeated Foley, as we all know, sparing him from the famous Flaming Cable. He engaged in a small storyline of rivalry with Ric Flair, inspired by real-life animosity the two had, and Have a Nice Day Foley wrote that Flair was every bit as bad on the booking side of things as he was great on the wrestling side of it. In response, Flair wrote in his autobiography that Foley was a glorified stuntman, and this was able to climb the ladder WWF only because of his friendship with the bookers. The two had a backstage confrontation at a Raw event in 2003. Foley had said that this was large, largely reconciled since then. Uh, and Flair again called Foley a glorified stuntman. And then Foley called Flair a washed up piece of crap. He challenged him to a match. The result was two out of three falls. Match at Vengeance where Flair beat Foley in two straight falls. The two men then wrestled an I quit match at SummerSlam. Which Flair won when he forced Foley to quit by threatening Molina with a barbed wire bat. On the August 21st episode of Raw, Foley kissed Vince McMahon's buttocks as part of the McMahon Kiss My Ass gimmick and he threatened to, after he threatened to fire Molina. Shortly thereafter, she betrayed Foley and announced he was fired. And then in total nonstop action, he appeared between 2008 and 2009. And as we all know, 
he was in and around writing, doing kids' books, all kinds of stuff. And then he was Raw General Manager again from 2016 to 2017. Um, so if a lot of people don't know, he wrote three different autobiographies. The first one was Have a Nice Day, A Tale of Blood and Sweat Socks, which was released in 1999 and it topped the New York, New York Times bestseller list for nonfiction. Then he followed up with Foley's God, The Real World uh, is Faker Than Wrestling, which released in 2001. And the third part of the biography, The Hardcore Diaries, highlights his 2004 feud with Orton and his match later and his match and later partnership with Edge and the program with Ric Flair in 2006. The Hardcore Diaries was released in 2007 and spent some time on the bestseller list. And then Foley's Countdown to Lockdown was released on October 1st, 2010. And and this was kind of a cool little tidbit I thought I wanted to throw in. On September 30, 2010, Joey Styles interviewed Foley on WWE.com. Even though Foley was under contract with TNA at the time, uh, Michael Cole plugged the book on, the, on, a, on a September 27th edition of Raw. And the piece was published by Foley in Slate, in which portions were adapted from Countdown. WWE's promotion of the product released by the employee of a rival company was very unusual and a welcome surprise to Foley. He has since stated that he was delighted with the respect shown by his former, his former employer. And on November 10, 2010, Foley appeared on The Daily Show and Off the Record to discuss the book and his charity work. The Countdown to Lockdown, though, was the first memoir that did not make the New York Times bestseller list. His fifth autobiography, St. Mick, was released in 2017. He's also written a couple children's books, Halloween and Christmas. In his personal life, as we all know, he's married to his wife, Colette. Uh, they have three sons and a daughter. Dewey Francis was born in 1992. Noel Margaret was born in 1993. Michael Francis, a.k.a. Mickey Jr., was born in 2001. And Huey Francis was born in 2003. Foley's father, Jack Foley, a former Ward Melville High School athletic director, died in September 13, 2009. And as of June 2018, Dewey works for WWE as a producer. A uh, couple quick championships... Uh, a couple quick things to talk about as well. Championships and accolade. He was the CWA Tag Team Champion. He was the ECW World Tag Team Champion. North American Championship for three times. Uh, Frank Gotch Award 2001. IWA World Tag Championship. And the King of the Ring Deathmatch winner. NWA Heavyweight Championship. NL Heavyweight Championship. OMW North American Heavyweight Championship. Uh, he was Inspired Wrestler of the Year in 1993. Match of the Year 98. Match of the Year 99. Ranked 19 out of 500 in 1999. Ranked 46 out of 500 in 2003. He was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2017. He was also a Steel Cage Wrestling uh, Champion and Tag Team Championship. TNA Legend Champion. And he was also the TNA World Heavyweight Champion. World WCW World Tag Team Championship. Uh, USWA World Tag Team Championship. WCW champ, WCWA World Light Heavyweight Championship. And... Uh, Recently, WWF Championship three times, Hardcore Champion one time, Tag Team Champion eight times, and he was in the Hall of Fame. Sorry, my apologies. Professor Wrestling Hall of Fame was class of 2017. WWE Hall of Fame was 2013. Uh, and he also has a couple accolades of Best Brawler, 91 to 2000. Best Interviews, 95, 2004, 2006. Best Pro Wrestling Book, 2010. Feud of the Year, 2000. Most Disgusting Promotional Tactic, 1993. Uh, Reader's Favorite Wrestler, 1998. So, you know, the list and the accolades go on and on and on, but this guy has literally had the career of careers that any wrestler could imagine. He's wrestled all over the world. He's gained fans all over the world. He's held titles all over the world. He's literally done everything you can do in wrestling, but with a lot of toll on his body, what he put on the line for his life, for the betterment of his family. And this is a guy that can literally be considered 
and capture it in one word. Legend. Yeah. I don't take anything away from Mick Foley. I have insurmountable respect for the man. And I hope if he does get to listen to this podcast, I hope I did him justice. And I, I hope believe you did. all the information was out there to the best of the ability. There was just so much to comb through because it's one heck of a career. Yeah. One heck of a career. Absolutely stunning. And just to go back with uh, the empty arena match when we were talking about if there was two, there was actually five. Oh, uh, no the way. first empty arena match was Jerry Lawler and then NWA World Heavyweight Champion uh, taking on Terry Funk and they were battling it. They, they battled it out in the cage in uh, Mid-South, in the Mid-South Coliseum in an empty, in an empty Mid-South Coliseum. Uh, it wasn't until 1999, of course, where we talked about the infamous empty arena match with Mankind and The Rock. 2009, which we were talking about before, you said Sting was involved in that. It was Sting and Kurt Angle. Uh, I was in, right. In, I was right about one. I thought yeah, it was. I thought the, it was uh, Big Papa Pumps Steiner, but it wasn't. I knew Sting was in it though. Yep, and uh, it was an empty arena match, and that was uh, the main event Mafia era, basically when when uh, when Kurt Angle was main event Mafia, and I believe that was when uh, Sting was doing his Joker thing the time um, oh yeah. <laughs> not a, yeah not a ton of backstory on this one but generation me aka the un, the young bucks and uh the motor city machine guns so that's aka chris sabin and alex shelley they battled in an empty arena match on an episode of tna's reaction show so there you go there's tna and there's another tna and then this one um i actually totally forgot about and these are actually um two so it's it's technically six but uh, it was the NWO, Team NWO versus Team WCW. And essentially oh, when, yes, when they yes. had their Saturday night, the WCW Saturday nights where they actually had their empty arena matches so that they could perform on WCW television. Mm. <laughs> if they won, then they were allowed to go perform on WCW That's television. right. Okay. Do you remember that? Okay. Well, you know what? There's more than I would have thought. Seriously, so did I. I was looking it up. I was like, oh, there was more than that. <laughs> Way more than that. That's incredible. So before we leave for tonight, we'll wrap up. Next week's show, we're going to be discussing... What do you think? What's the what's the spin at the wheel for next week? For next week's episode, uh, we will keep you guys in touch and we will let you guys know exactly what's going on. It's going to be a surprise and it's going to be really, really awesome. I wanted, I wanted him to, to percolate the surprise. I wanted him to get you guys going with that and I think he did. So next week, we'll let you guys know what exactly the episode is going to be. But before I leave you, before we leave you, sorry, I want to play the clip from the infamous when Foley won the title. I hope this one works. So this is the only one I could find with decent audio. We understand that Mick Foley is going to win their world title. Oh, he's going to put some butts in the seat. Over 600,000 people immediately changed the channel. If I had to pick the most memorable moment in my career on Raw, it would be uh, winning the WWE title for, for the first time. It was something that was, uh, I never thought I'd see. He's come a long way since sleeping on the floors of Motel 6's. He's been known as Duke Love, Cactus Jack, coming at a time in the middle of the Monday Night Wars, at a really pivotal time, it turned out to be not only a big victory for me in the ring, but a huge victory for WWE in the ratings. Over 6,000 viewers changed the channel to watch Mick Foley win his first WWE Championship. Over 600,000 people. That's crazy. WCW never defeated Raw in the ratings again. That's crazy. That's crazy. One moment. So I guess we have to owe credit to Tony Schiavone and his sarcastic nonsense 
because thank you for going live and helping WWF at the time win the Monday Night Wars. And straight up, there's actually like the one moment where I can actually look at Michael Cole and I can actually, and I hear it, it's not the first time I've listened back to this <laughs> and I've heard him call this at the end. And oh my God, the, the the between like the Miracle Kid and 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 uh, oh my God, there's been a few of them where he's called. Uh, oh man, the Rey Mysterio call when he won the title. Uh, Eddie Guerrero when he won the title. There was a few of them where he made. Where it's, it's sometimes the guy who wins the title, the guy who makes the call for the guy who wins the title, sometimes has a way of ruining it, and that's why it was. Always the best whenever JR would call the world champion, whenever he would win it. It was the best when Gorilla Monsoon, Monsoon would make a call of when he would win the title. And that was a rare moment in Michael Cole's career where I can actually look back and go, great, honestly, man, you were on your game that night of making perfect calls of excellent, perfectly explaining the, the ending to this amazing story of Mick Foley becoming the world champion. Mrs. Foley's baby bar! Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So as we said, next week's episode, complete surprise. We're going to keep you guys posted on that. Tune in live for that. You don't want to miss that. Well, tune in live or pre-recorded. However we decide we're going to do that It's one. going to be a bomb episode, everybody. Seriously. And I don't mean a bomb as in it's going to be bad. I mean it's going to be... It is going to be amazing. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. And as always, I'm your host the most, George Mackay. Thank you so much for tuning in episode 58. Our superstar profile of the legend, the three faces of Foley, the man, Mick Foley, and my cohort in crime, Stevie Animal Mitchell. Have an awesome night, wrestling fans. And we'll see you guys next week. As always... Thank you all so much for tuning in. Catch us every Wednesday at 7.30 on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Also, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. Wrestling!